we see God preparing Jeremiah. We have already now he's seen the vision, uh, two visions: the almond branch and the boiling cauldron. You remember that the significance of that. Um, the almond branch signified the watching, uh, and that uh, you know the alarm clock kind of idea that that Jeremiah was calling God's people to wake up, and then the boiling cauldron being spilled out from the north to the south was a picture of God's judgment that uh, He was preparing to do uh, on uh, the people of Judah. And, and by the way, let me make a comment on that because through the book of the entire book of Jeremiah, you'll hear reference to Judah and you'll hear reference to Israel. Now, there was a time where the kingdom was divided. You remember there was King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. And then the kingdom divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And um, the northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. And they were always made a distinction there. But at this point when Jeremiah is preaching, um, Israel, or excuse me, Israel, the the northern tribe, had already been carried into captivity. That had already happened. Uh, And so really... Jeremiah's message when he's talking about the people of God is specifically to the Jews that are left in the land of, in the in the promised land, Canaan. But he refers to them sometimes as Judah, most of the time, almost twice as much as Israel. He will he'll use those phrases interchangeably. Judah, Israel, and understand that every single time except in chapter 3 where he mentions both of them, every single time where he uses the word Israel, other than that one in Jeremiah 3, he's talking about the Jews that are left in the promised land, which technically is Judah. Uh, and again, that's the term that's used most often. So uh, don't, don't stumble over that. Understand the, the context of the history there. And uh, so here Jer- Jeremiah, in God is preparing Jeremiah. Let me give you the breakdown of verse 17, 18, and 19. Those are our points, each, each verse. First, we have the exhortation which is verse 17, uh, God says that to Jeremiah, Thou therefore, gird up thy loins, that's uh, an old English term, the, the idea is the uh, back in Bible times, uh, the garments that were worn were very bulky, robe-like, and, and uh, especially when someone's going to go, to go into military conflict, they would uh, wrap up their uh, the bottom of their robe, as it were, to keep... Uh, to have access. In fact, in, um, in, in when Paul in, in, Acts, in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God, God talks about girding up the loins of your mind. It's a, it's a figurative language there. But this is a challenge to someone that's going into military that needs to prepare to get ready. So uh, verse 17 is the emotional preparation for Jeremiah himself. Gird up thy loins, arise, and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. So he's preparing Jeremiah for what's ahead. No doubt, Jeremiah had to go back to this time in his mind many times. Uh, because he was of what he was facing. Then verse 18, we see the battle plan, the explanation. Verse 17 is the exhortation. Verse 18 is the explanation. For behold... I have made thee this day a defensed city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah and against the princes thereof, 
against the priests thereof and against the people of the land. If I was Jeremiah at this point, I'd be like, uh, did you leave anybody out? And God would say, no, because they are all going to oppose you. Uh, and so that's the battle plans, the explanation. And then verse 19 is the expectation. This is the blessed promise uh, in conflict. He says, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord. Two, and then here's this old Hebrew word that goes back to the time of Moses that was used over and over again as a promise of, to God's people, I will deliver you. And that is a promise to Jeremiah. We're going to see tonight. It's also a promise for us. So tonight we are talking about being opposed. Because Jeremiah's whole ministry was one of opposition. Nobody would be on his side. Uh, He was going to be opposed. And folks, you and I will be opposed as well. The challenge is make sure that you and I, we need to make sure we are being opposed for the right things. Sometimes people are opposed purely because of themselves, you know, and and I'm sure we've all experienced that. Unless you've always responded perfectly to every scenario, I'm sure there have been people that have reacted to you negatively uh, because of you. Would you agree? I know that's happened with me. Uh, So we want to make sure that, you know, we are going to be opposed, especially when we stand for truth and right. But we have to make sure that we are being opposed for the right things. And Jeremiah certainly was. So let's jump in. Uh, Let's look at verse 17. The uh, emotional preparation. The exhortation. God says to Jeremiah, Thou therefore gird up thy loins. Get ready for battle. He's basically saying, All right, brace yourself. He's putting this mentality that, Okay, get ready for conflict. Gird up thy loins. Arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Uh, Brace yourself, speak my word, and do not be dismayed. So the challenge, uh, very reminiscent to uh, when God would prepare, say for example, Joshua. Uh, Moses exhorted Joshua twice. Let me read this to you, you don't need to turn there. But in Deuteronomy chapter 31, beginning in verse 6, God says... Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that go, uh, doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Verse 7, And Moses called unto Joshua, and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. Different mission, same promise. Be strong, gird up thy loins, be of good courage, because I will be with you. And then in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 6, again, almost, it sounds like the same exhortation, but it's not. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And then, of course, he said, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, 
Uh, and then in verse 9, after he challenges him about meditating on the word, he says, Have not I commanded thee three times? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. You know, folks, the Christian life is not easy. It is not easy. Even in a country where there's freedom of religion. Uh, you, uh, Paul, Paul told Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So you and I have to be prepared for that. But what are you hearing over and over again? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Be not dismayed. And that's exactly what God challenged Jeremiah. It's one thing to hear this exhortation when you don't know what's ahead. And Jeremiah did not know what was ahead, other than God told him, uh, you know, that you're basically, nobody's going to be following you, and you know, you're going to go to a very stubborn people, just like he said to Ezekiel. He would say the same thing to Jeremiah. But I want you to look at this phrase. It's interesting. Phrase in verse 17. That last statement, Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. We've noted before, when we were looking at the first vision, we noted before earlier in this chapter, the play on words. And here again, uh, there's something that comes out in the Hebrew. This was written in Hebrew. Uh, translated various different languages. Now we have it in English. But this challenge, be not dismayed. That word dismayed is a very interesting term. And the idea, it's the Hebrew word tehat, which literally comes from a root word which means to be shattered. Be not dismayed at their faces. Lest I, look at the next word, confound. Guess what? That's a translation of the word the Hebrew word, tihat. Sound familiar? It's the same word. Same exact word. And King James translators, other translators would do this a lot. Uh, They would translate the same word in various different English words to give a broader meaning, but they're the same thing. So when that happens, we look at that, and he's basically, it's like he is saying, don't lose your nerve because of them, or I'm going to cause you to lose your nerve in front of them. Or just interchange the words. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I dismay thee before them. Or, be not confounded uh, at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. God is challenging them. The challenge is to be strong, but it's a challenge that you're going to need to trust me, and I'm going to need you to be confident going forward. And... If you are dismayed, if you lose your nerve, it's because you're not trusting in me. In fact, somebody once said, um, a man who fears man has also God to fear. Good point. Now, we're supposed to fear God. Remember what Jesus said? Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, Matthew 10, 28. But rather, fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And if you have not heard, the fear of God uh, is not... You know, when you think of fear today, don't think of it in the, in the limited sense of terror. Because that's, that's when you think, I'm supposed to fear God? 
He wants me to like be cowering every moment like he's going to strike me dead. That's not the fear of God. That is fear. In fact, when it's the fear of man, you know, the fear of man brings a snare. When you and I fear people, we are intimidated. We limit what we do. We will, we will not say what we're supposed to say like Jeremiah. You know, if he really got, if it got in his head to think about these people, then he would easily lose his nerve. And that's what God did not want. God needed him to be strong because he wasn't conveying his own message. He was conveying God's message. So this idea, this play on words, don't be dismayed. Don't lose your nerve when you're before them. Or you're going to lose your, I'm going to cause you to lose your nerve in front of them. I do not, fear is a very, so back real quick, the fear of God, I've mentioned this many times, the fear of God is a good thing. Now it has an acknowledgement that God is holy and therefore the Bible says, by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. Somebody described fear, the fear of God as this way. It is recognizing that we are under the continual watchful eye of a holy God. Now, if that strikes fear in you, it should if you're just living your own life and, and having no concern at all if you're offending God. But if you're conscious of God and your desires to please God and your sin is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, then the Bible says the fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Just the opposite of being dismayed or confounded. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and the idea is in Proverbs there, in the fear of the Lord, his children shall have a place of refuge. So that's, you know, we want to fear God because it's the best place to be. And that's what God wanted for Jeremiah. Listen, he's basically saying, I need to be bigger to you than the people of Judah are. If you, get, if you magnify them too much, if people become big, then I'm becoming small. And you've lost perspective. Wow, that happens to us too, does it not? Interesting. So now let's look at this phrase. Because he's already said in verse 8, if you remember verse 8 of chapter 1, he said, be not afraid of their faces. See, the people of Judah were very, very ugly. I'm waiting for a response. I don't know that. And they probably, obviously they're not. That's not what he was saying. When He said, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee. And now look at verse 17. He says, "Be the middle of the verse, be not dismayed at their faces. That's interesting, isn't it? I want to go back to uh, what I was preaching this morning um, about the word energy. If, if you haven't heard this morning's message, it's available online. But the word energy, in fact, we notice that in our King James Bible, the word energy is not found at all. Because it used to have a very limited meaning. English changes. In fact, I had a quote that you'll hear eventually that I didn't get to this morning from Noah Webster. In 1828, he came out with the English, the, uh, the Dictionary of the English Language, which was like the first standard, understand this, that prior to that, for example, many of our founding documents in America, many of our founding documents will have the same word spelled differently in various ways because there was no standard. 
And, and that's not just in America, folks. For years, there was no right and wrong way to spell something. People didn't make a big deal about it. In fact, there's evidence from that when the writers of Scripture were writing, there's a place in the Gospel of John, in the old, old literature, where one word is, is spelled three different ways. But that was not a big thing back then. And that was not a big thing here. Uh, but understand now, where was I going with this? Oh, so the word energy, uh, always it simply used to mean, when it first came out, it simply meant, <coughs> what did it mean? Here it is. It, yes, force of expression. That's uh, in the, the, the word study, the philology of it. It simply meant force of expression. So the word energy simply meant your countenance. And notice it, force of expression. Do you know that your expression has force, has power? After the message this morning, Portia came up to me and was sharing that in, in their preparing and, and learning to counsel people, uh, they, they emphasize something called affect. A-F-F-E-C-T, right, Portia? Affect. They call it affect. She says, that's a big deal. When you're helping someone, when you're counseling someone, he said, notice how it's, the affect is, how are they presenting themselves? And it all goes back to their face. And someone that's trained is going to be like, reading that when they come in. Before they ever say a word, they're communicating something. And, and their expression, their affect is very powerful. Are they sad? Are they down? Are they happy? Are they angry? Now think about it. Energy. Force of expression. Our facial expression can pack a punch. You know, it really can. You want to lift someone up? You want to be lifted up? Just go in front of Gore and make them smile. Seriously, it's like the light of the world goes on, isn't it? He's probably back there. And I love, and, I, and many others, many of you, when you smile, it just, it just lights up the world. But then there's other times, other people, where they come in and they're not happy and you know it. And they haven't even said anything because of their, their affect. How are they presenting themselves? Well, God was preparing Jeremiah. Jeremiah? You're not going to get some good looks. You're going to stand up to preach a message to them, and they're not going to, their affect is going to be pretty bad. You're probably going to get a lot of glares, maybe a lot of this. In fact, I remember, oh, I love this story. I wasn't planning on saying this. The third or the second time, second time I went to Grenada, uh, there was a precious couple, Bill, and I, I forgot his wife's name, but Bill, um, was been on missions trips, the evangelism missions trips to Grenada many times. This was before Carrie passed away. And one time, Carrie and, and his wife, Carrie and Terry, went to his church, and he, he tells me, he told me this. He says, I was sitting in the back, and I didn't want, I didn't want, any, I didn't want nothing that Carrie was tell, talking about going on a missions trip short term. And he said, I remember I was standing back there like this. You know, and he had his, his effect. Must have been pretty scary. I don't know if Kerry saw him, you know. But he, he just shared what the mission strip was. And as he listened, as Bill listened to Kerry's presentation, 
his countenance, his facial, his um, you know energy, his what's that word again? The expression, the force of expression began to change. And he said, "You know what? God was working in his heart." And he said, oh, "Maybe I'll go." And he went. The first year, and the second year, and the third year, and they were just regulars going all the time. And he and his wife, I mean, soul winners, all kinds of people were getting saved. What a blessing. You know, he was one of those guys that the effect was not good. Well, Jeremiah, that's all he was going to have. So that God had to prepare him. Be not dismayed at their faces. Be not afraid of their faces. Why did he say that? If he was going to get a bunch of people that would sit there. And and I want to tell you, (coughs) some of you don't give any tells of what's going on when I'm preaching. You know, some people are just, the whole time. And I'm wondering, what's going on in their mind? And then other people, and, and I, I love preaching to all of you. But then there's some people that are just like, you know, they, they, they just respond. And, and, and it's, it's encouraging to get some kind of feedback that's positive. Jeremiah wasn't going to get any of that. Jeremiah was just going to get stone resistance, opposition. And God had to prepare him by twice saying, listen, let's talk about their faces, okay? Let's, let's talk about their expressions, because it's not going to be pretty. And by the way, this all goes back to the fear of man. If you and I fear man, then their facial expressions and someone's response or lack of response is going to be, mean way more to us than it should. But if you and I are more concerned with the face of our Father, if you and I are more concerned with His pleasure, then we will do whatever it takes to overcome that. Not that that's not going to be an effect. You know, this is definitely something that is a, a force to be reckoned with, or God wouldn't have told them twice. Don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be dismayed at their faces. Don't lose your nerve in front of them. Saying, don't fear people. And beloved, we have a gospel that needs to go into this world more than ever before as people have less and less knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it is imperative that this apply to us as well. So, then we have the explanation, verse 18. Verse 18, this is the battle plans from the captain. You know, he's first preparing him emotionally. Now he's saying, okay, here's what's going to happen. Verse 18. I have made thee this day a defense city and an iron pillar and a brazen wall. This is all military terms right here. He's, he's preparing this spiritual soldier to go into spiritual battle. And brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people thereof. So let's look at this. Let's break this down. I made thee this day a defensed city. A very clear picture of military. Uh, you know, a city set on a hill with walls. Reminds us of Nehemiah's day when they rebuilt the walls. And so many examples in the scriptures where one kingdom, one nation would come against another. And God is telling Jeremiah, I am going to make you that defense city. And an iron pillar. The pillar was a support which um, in the eastern houses and the eastern temples... It would be the main structure that would hold up a flat roof. 
And in fact, in the temple, there's instructions in 1 Kings 7.21 about the pillar and giving instruction. And you might remember in Judges 16.25, remember when Samson died? And he was in that pagan temple. Where did he, what did he do? He said, put me against one of these pillars. And so the pillar was the sign of, of strength and fortitude against opposition, against pressure, against weight. And then he said, and brazen walls. Brazen walls... Uh, apparently uh, referred to the fastening of copper plates on the exterior of um, brick or stonework for fortification. And now God is telling Jeremiah, I'm going to do all this. You're you're like a city, Jeremiah. You're a defense city here. Uh, I'm going to make you an iron pillar. I'm going to make you brazen walls. You are going to be this city That's because you're going to go, get under siege. You're going to be opposed against the kings of Judah, excuse me, verse 18, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof. The establishment, all the people in leadership are going to have a problem with you. Not just that, the people. In fact, his own people, the people of Anathoth, where he was from, would plot to take his life. In chapter 11, verses 18 and following, we'll get to that down the road. But that reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 35 to prepare us for today's spiritual conflict. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10:35, "For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household." Getting saved sometimes can be very hazardous to family relationships. Because this world is at enmity with God. Uh, If you know someone that's very kind, this is very common, you meet someone that's super nice, and you think, man, they are just so awesome, they're so kind, they're always smiling, I have never seen that person in a bad mood. And then you try and witness to them. And all of a sudden, you see an ugly side. You see anger, you see hatred. Uh, And you will see, folks, just clearly... The Bible says the world is at enmity with God, and that is one of the clearest challenges for that. So God is telling him, uh, I'm preparing you. I'm preparing you for battle, but I am the one that's going to make you that defense city. I'm the one that's going to make you an iron pillar. I am the one that's going to make you brazen walls and copper protection, and you're ready. I'm going to prepare you. How about us today? Do we have any kind of promise like that in the New Testament? There are several verses uh, that I've quoted often and I hope at least one of them jumps out to you because it's good to have some of those promises. I'm going to give you four passages of Scripture. Three of them are ones I've been quoting incessantly because I want to get them in your head. Ephesians 3.20 Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That's a great one, isn't it? Unto him that is, he is able. We sing the song. He is able. Comes from that. He is able to, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. How about this one? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ 
which strengtheneth me. How about this one? 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Does that leave out any scenario? I mean, think of that. Look at all those superlatives there. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God is telling you, no matter what crevice you get into, I am able to overcome in those situations. And now I want to close with one, not close the message, but this part. Romans 8. There's a whole passage there. Just listen to some of these verses. Beginning of verse 31, Paul says this. In fact, I've only been thinking of it recently because I, we, um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago or sometime recently, Romans chapter 9 which is kind of like the contrast. But listen to Romans 8.31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And then jump down to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he answers in verse 37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Man, right there. That is so good. That's, if, if you need a memory verse or memory passage, that's it right there. Because, you know, you need to commit scriptures to your memory so that when you get in those times of doubt, when Satan's attacking you, the fiery darts are going, that you don't have to go to a Bible or say, what was that verse? You've got it right in your head. You need to do that. And then, and then here, listen to how it ends. Verse 37 through 39. Or I just read 37. Verse 38 and 39. So it's a whole separate thing you can memorize. A little more of a challenge. Said uh, in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. not a good one? I wonder if you have that memorized. I don't, as you can tell. I'm looking down. You know, there are some passages that are hard. Philippians 4.8, that seemed to take me like 20 years. Remember that? Um, now, what, what sort of things are true, honest, just, pure? Those lists. You really have to work on them. This is a tough one. But folks, it would be worth memorizing. Because it's promising us, you know what? In all these horrible scenarios, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God told that to Jeremiah, and God tells that to you tonight. Whatever is ahead. That's the explanation. The battle plans from the captain. Now we close with the expectation. That's the promise. His promise in conflict. Look at verse 19. He says to Jeremiah, They shall fight against thee. But they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to, and then here's this phrase that Jeremiah picks up on, and many people that have studied the book of Jeremiah way more than I have even, even, way more than I have, are convinced that Jeremiah has a special connection in his mind to the promises of Moses, that he saw himself because Moses was God's prophet to the people of the Israelites, and that Jeremiah saw himself as the Moses of his day. 
and uh, some of the same exact wording that was in exhortations to Moses are found in exhortations to Jeremiah. And this promise, promise of deliverance, the word rescue or deliver, is one that is in Moses' promises. God's promising, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to deliver my people out of bondage. And he did. And now, I think Jeremiah fi- finds great hope. And listen to some of these verses in Exodus in Exodus that are in the context of Moses. Exodus 3.8, God says to Moses, and I am come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians. Same word for deliver that's in Jeremiah. And to bring them out of the land unto a good land, a large land, unto the land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites. And he goes on. Chapter 18, Exodus 18.4, And the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father said, said he was mine help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Verse 8, And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. Same term. Verse 9, And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Folks, that same God is able to deliver you. There's a song. I would sing it. And we'll sing it sometime soon. Tis the grandest theme through the ages rung. Tis the grandest theme for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest theme that the world e'er sung. Our God is able to deliver thee. In the chorus, He is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. Though by sin oppressed, go to Him for rest. Our God is able to deliver thee. There are several precious songs that have this concept. That's one of them. Another one. He's able. He's able. That one I love. There's so many songs. Uh, Those are some of the first songs that I learned. For some reason, I needed to to cling. I needed to hitch on to this idea that God is able to deliver us. And we need to sing that song. We need to think of these verses often. <coughs> I close with this. And let me quote, let me give you a quote from, um, who was it, George Mueller? No, Oswald, Oswald, Oswald Chambers, who wrote a book called um, Run Today's Race. And he made this statement. It was a good point. He said, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. So the confidence that you and I have that our God is able to deliver us is what we cling to. But it's not faith in our deliverance. I just know God's going to get me out of this. I know God's going to change this circumstance. I know that God's going to do this, 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 and this. As if we've got God figured out. And then our faith is no longer in God. It's in what we're expecting Him to do. So that's a very good quote. But let's go back to God's ability. Because He is able to deliver thee. I heard a story long, uh, long ago. Long Years ago, long ago. Um, and I remember hearing it, 
and you know, you hear stories which tend to sensationalize certain things. Uh, but from what I've read about John missionary John Patton, 1800s, died in the early 1900s, uh, from Scotland, who was a missionary to the New Hebrides, which is now a, 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 it's a chain of islands, Vanuata, something like that today they're called. But he was a missionary there, a missionary from Scotland, went there. And um, in fact, the very first year that he went to the mission field, his wife and newborn child died. And um, he ended up getting remarried. And as he was ministering in the New Hebrides, um, a hostile group of um, natives surrounded his mission complex one night and were ready, threatening, and planning on burning it down. And he had, he had never been that scared in his life. So he and his wife just prayed and prayed and prayed through the whole night. And they, when, they, when they went out in the morning, nothing had happened, and all the natives were gone. About a year later, the chief of the tribe got saved. And John Patton asked him, he says, Do you remember this night? He mentioned the night. He said, um, Why didn't you burn the village down? Why didn't you burn our compound down like you said you were going to do? And the, the chief said, Who are all those men that were surrounding that building? In shiny garments and all that, something like that. And now, now John Patton knew it was just me and my wife. There was nobody there. And I, when I heard that, I thought, you know, God is able to do that. And it's not like he was a faith healer claiming these special powers. But it reminded me of 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's close with this in your mind. You don't need to turn there because we've gone there recently. 2 Kings chapter 6. You remember that Elisha, he had already healed the king of the Syrian guard, Naaman, from leprosy. So he was now infamous in Syria. And Syria was planning on attacking Israel. And Elisha would send word, because he was a prophet of God, he would send word to the king of Israel. Hey, don't go to this city because the troops of Syria are going there. And they were planning on going there. And then they would, they would move. And the plans of this king of Syria were confounded. And that happened, more than, that happened several times. More than twice happened. In fact, that's the way it's worded. It happened several times. And so much so that the king of Syria got really upset. And he said, all right, who's the spy? We've got to have a spy in here. Somebody's, somebody's giving our secrets to the king of Israel because every place we're getting ready to surround him, he, it's like he finds out about it. Now, somehow, maybe somebody that heard what happened to Naaman and understood about Elisha, he said, no, there's no spy here, he told the king. He said, there's a prophet in Israel who is telling the king, in fact, anything that you would say in, the bed, in your bedchamber, uh, you know, by yourself, he's going to know about it and he's going to tell the king. And, they, and the king said, well, who is that? It's Elijah. All right, troops. So they went to get, and they were going to go and capture Elisha. And you remember the scene in 2 Kings chapter 6, and verse 16. Elisha and his servant are there in the mountain, and all of a sudden the entire Syria, or this huge Syrian army is surrounding him. And the servant freaks out. A master, alas, what shall we do? And Elisha was calm. And this is what we need to do. He said, don't worry. They that are with us are more than they that are with them. <laughs> On the surface, the, the servant must have thought he was crazy. They that are with us. One, two. 
are more than they that are with them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, go on and on. What are you talking about? Clearly, they that are with us, there's two of us, and there's multitudes of them. He didn't understand it. And Elisha said, Lord, would you open his eyes? And God opened his eyes, and all of a sudden, the servant saw what Elisha knew was there. The entire mountain was covered with the angelic host ready to do battle. Invisible forces. Remember what Paul said? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now whether that happened on New Hebrides, our God is able to deliver us. And so our confidence has to be in Him. I want you to take hope tonight in the message of Jeremiah. Because he faced opposition Incredible opposition. And yet, he was able to be strong. And the key is, he was able to be faithful despite everything that came against him. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight to find hope. Uh, Lord, we're thankful that at least right now in America that we are not facing uh, what our brothers and sisters in other countries are facing. Um, Lord, some of them, their very lives... Uh, multitudes are being martyred. Uh, Lord, we do pray for the countries where the Christian church and God's people are being martyred. Uh, And there's a whole list of them. Father, I pray you bless our brothers and sisters in Christ that are just, just standing firm in Christ, standing firm in the gospel. Give them courage. And Father, I pray that in our small way, the little persecution that we face that we would not that we would be undaunted and that we would not be dismayed at their faces so that we are not confounded in front of them lord bless us and equip the church to do battle for you we pray in jesus precious name amen